like an animal, talks like an animal, must be an animal. Come here, the animals, talking animal, talking animal. Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Glenn Hatchell, returning for the third installment of Ask the Trainer. You may recall that about six months ago, we conducted something of an experiment, trying out an extended new segment called Ask the Trainer. And the trainer in this case, of course, was Glenn Hatchell. The former WMNF programmer, Glenn is now an accomplished dog trainer and behaviorist and currently works as the Behavior and Enrichment Manager at the Humane Society of Tampa. In that initial show, we invited listeners to call or email with questions about their dog's behavior or training and glenn responded people seem to really appreciate the help and guidance provided by glenn and of course the information he offered was also helpful to many of those listening to the show as well we consider the ask the trainer experiment a big success the sort of public service we prize here at talking animals and at wmnf and uh, we reprised the segment in august and it went even better so glenn has kindly agreed to return today for a third edition of ask the trainer we invite uh, listeners once again to call in at 813-239-9663 phone calls we found so for tend to work best, be most effective because they enable Glenn to ask the caller follow-up questions, who is still on the line, of course, more precisely homing in on the issues than arriving at a recommended solution. Still, for those listeners unable to call, we will uh, aim to incorporate some questions submitted by email at dj at wmnf.org or via text 813-433-0885. Also, I should point out that the ukulele music we're hearing in the background is intended as an ongoing reminder that WMF's 6th Annual Ukulele Festival, Uke It Out, happens later this week over two nights, Friday, December 3rd at New World Brewery in Tampa and Saturday, December 4th at Cage Brewing in St. Pete. Both nights will offer several fun entertainment elements, including uke lessons. You can learn how to play. These nights are always a blast. Please head to WMF.org for info about these shows, how to get tickets, and more. Right now, it's Ukulele Meets the Mighty Adele okay, of the moment, so that's courtesy of Jake Shimabukuro. Maybe you can learn to play like Jake if you go to one of these or both of these shows. Anyway, as for today's show, Talking Animals, that is, we'll take our first calls or written questions for Glenn in just a moment or two, but let's first have a bit of a chat with Glenn. This is Ask the Trainer with Glenn Hatchell on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Glenn. Hey, Duncan. How are you today? Great. Thanks for joining us once again. I think this is such a cool thing that you do, and uh, people obviously super appreciate it. So while we're waiting for people to call in at 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or, uh, of course, you can also text 813-433-0885. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at too many pages and too many signals here, but... Uh, Anyway, so we'll look forward to hearing from folks on that. But let's talk a little bit about a couple of things before we hopefully take some, some callers' questions, emailers' questions, et cetera. So the concept of choice, that is allowing animals to kind of choose what they do and where they go rather than having those decisions made for them and forced into a certain action, this is kind of a crucial thing for all kinds of animals, including like an animal sanctuary, especially ones where they previously were maybe performing animals and so they had no choices and now... They're living kind of more free and having choices to make and not being forced in anything. But it's also important to the work that you do. Maybe you could kind of describe how so. Absolutely. Um, 
And happy holidays, happy Hanukkah to those who celebrate, and uh, hope everybody's doing well. It's good to do this again. Um, so choice is so the important. God, you know, this is choice is always one of those things that I have to really be careful about narrowing it down because literally I could spend the whole hour <laughs> talking about different scenarios. Yeah. But, um, I think I didn't realize it when I was reading it at the time, but as I understood more and more about choice, I realized the first time or one of the most clear examples, I think, is, and again, it seems like every time we do this, I bring up the fact that you have interviewed Temple Grandin multiple times. Um, but when Temple Grandin talks about when she's first designing or redesigning you know, coming up with the ideas for the cattle shoots. You know, she can look, she looks at this, she looks at the cattle being forced to go through certain areas and she can visually see all the blocks that are causing the cattle, the cattle to stop moving through the chute there. She came up basically with a complete design that took away the things that would have distracted a cow. For example, in one case, in one example she talks about is, um, I believe it may be a flag that's blowing in the wind, and they would hesitate at that. Another was the fact that there were right turns or left turns, um, and cow did, basically they look at that as far as the end and, and don't know that it can move forward. But if it was curved, the cow didn't realize it ended, and they would exactly they would go exactly where the ranchers needed for them to go. So everything really that Temple Grandin talked about, and she you know as she, as she came on that line, really didn't do anything but change the environment that made the the cow say, "Well, yeah, we'll walk through there." And what we I don't know that well I don't know if there's necessarily that is tied to other studies, but use carrying that now to animals to dogs any I'm, I'm sorry companion pets dogs cat we see the same kind of scenario especially with some of the fearful ones that come here to the shelter is that they may be hesitant to walk through a doorway but sometimes if we open that door and they can see that there is something on the other side they're happy to walk through it sometimes we end up putting down a what we call a treat trail if you think of the old you know breadcrumb trail it's really the same kind of thing but we're putting that treat trail in front of the dog so if the dog's hesitant to walk out the door if we lay a series of treats down and the dog's like, well, I'm going to walk forward to that next treat because basically what we do is kind of toss the treat in front of the dog so they continue to move forward. All of a sudden, the dog's at the door and happily walks out because he's forgot about the door and is all excited about the fact that he's getting hot dogs. But all we've done in that case is open the door basically and given him a bonus, a reward for doing what it is we want him to do anyway. Yeah. So many of the dogs that we deal with, once we take them through that scenario or that, uh, something like that two or three times, then they realize, ah, I'm not sure what's on the other side, but it hasn't been scary, so I'm going to go ahead and go through it. So giving dogs, and I, I keep saying dogs, but this really applies to any animal, um, but giving, including humans, <laughs> yeah. um, giving them the choice to decide okay, now I'll try it, gives that dog resilience and gives them the skills to be able to deal with new situations that come up. Because all of a sudden now, okay, that was scary. I got good stuff for it. We got through it. 
So the next time if a scary situation comes up and there's a hesitation, all of a sudden, if hot dogs show up, this dog's going to be like, oh, hot dogs are here again. So we can continue to get the dog focused, kind of will say, on the reward versus the scary thing at that moment. But it's all about choice. We're not grabbing the leash and dragging the dog through the door. We're not forcing the dog to meet a person that he or she seems reluctant to go up and introduce himself to. And we see this every day. Literally, it, was, it came up yesterday, and we, were, we had a dog yesterday morning, and I said, all kinds of fear, hesitation, all kinds of things. And I said, I bet this afternoon this dog's not going to have any of this fear. And sure enough, in that same scenario, dog yesterday afternoon, happy to leash up, went out to the play yard, and this is a dog that had come in, you know, the day before. So everything that the dog has ever known is gone. Mm. Everything is brand new. And so with those positive experiences and, again, giving the animal choice, it builds that resilience for them to be able to do it. I like to think of the analogy of if you're fear of heights or if you're scared of diving, diving off, the high, uh, off the high dive, yeah. you know, climbing up that, that ladder. If you're scared of it, you're not going to just hop on the ladder and haul yourself right up. You're going to probably go one step. You'll wait two steps. You may decide the first couple of times you're only going to go to the fifth step up. You're not going to even go up on the high dive. And, you know, I mean, that was me as a kid kind of. So I use that as an example because fear of heights is a good one, you know, about using the ladder to go up. And you continue to go higher and higher when you're ready to make that next step. And it's just so critical for animals to get comfortable and accept or to, um, to animals to get comfortable and realize that they can handle the distractions, even if they're scary, that comes up. One of the reasons why I really wanted to talk about it is because and I don't know if these numbers, well, I don't know the exact numbers, but I've kind of heard it said that at least in Hillsborough County, the number of monthly bite cases are, significant, are higher than they've been in previous months. Anecdotally, I have some ideas on why that could be, but the bottom line is that if there's more bites happening, if the dog doesn't have a choice, then usually the options are fight or flight. And if they can't get away, then for many dogs, that reaction is going to be snapping. Now, I don't know whether the increase has anything to do with that, but it's definitely one of the things that we train everyone here at the Humane Society, how to recognize those, give the dog choice, because that's going to greatly reduce the number of, of dog bites. So just knowing that, I mean, it's something right now that is so much, um, I think in everybody's mind that's working with animals in the Tampa Bay area, but of course, being in Hillsborough County, that's where I'm most, I mean, that's what I'm <clears throat> most familiar with. So, sure. Um, anyway, that was really one of the reasons why I wanted to just talk about choice, because so, of, so often it just lets give the dog a little more time. And when we try it the second and third time, all of a sudden that dog chooses to do exactly what we want and it helps the dog in the long run. Yeah. So. No, that makes it makes total sense. And again, it does apply on uh, broader scales to other kinds of animals and other kinds of settings. Just the the importance of choice, and and especially in some cases, if they're animals that have not really had any choice beforehand, and just the way they, as you say, get more resilient and just flourish, uh, having 
been given choices and, and make decisions about where they're going and when and how, what happens next. Yep. And, uh, yep. and so. sometimes, and sometimes that can take months or years, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've, I have one dog, I, we have one dog that, that lives with us that came from a hoarding situation and it was a year and a half before he would get up in my wife's lap and lick her face. He would crawl up by her. He would sleep by her, do everything, but get up in her lap all of a sudden, that was something that was really scary for him, and it took him a year and a half of living with her before he ever did it. So, wow. you yeah. know, it's always on the animal's time frame. Sure. Well, that makes total sense. So uh, we're speaking with Glenn Hatchell. Again, it's uh, Ask the Trainer. Uh, I think at this exact moment, Glenn, we are partly at least competing with um, oral arguments in the Supreme Court, so I don't know if we're getting quite as much uh, uh, attention in this direction as we typically do, but uh, I'm sure hopefully that'll commence. Let me just, for people who might just be tuning in and have a half an ear peeled to the Supreme Court uh, arguments. So again, this is uh, Glenn Hatchell and... uh, He's a dog trainer, behaviorist, works uh, as the behavior and enrichment manager at the Humane Society of Tampa. And for the uh, third time now, we're doing a thing called uh, Ask the Trainer, where folks are invited to call in about their dog's behavior or training or any kind of issues or questions or problems. And again, this extends to cats, too. We, we sort of have been had a dog-centric uh, focus, uh, but uh, but we have done at least one or two cat questions in the past, and I, I think I have a cat question that I'll ask you at some point. Um, All right. So we invite people to call in at 813-239-9663 or uh, email dj at wmnf.org, or you're welcome to text 813-433-0885. If you do text, we ask that you include your name just so uh, Glenn knows who he's, uh, who he's speaking with. So... So, again, 813-239-9663 for phones, dj at wmnf.org for uh, text, uh, for, sorry, for email, and 813-433-0885 if you'd like to text in your question, but we just ask that you include your name with those texts. So, I'm going to ask my question, I think, uh, now, Glenn. Finally. So, yeah. Well, you've, well, waited th- you've waited two other episodes. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've had questions come and go, and this one just is kind of present to in my mind so so here it is a cat question so we have uh, four cats at home and the most recent one um, is kind of a nutty charismatic guy but he's also um this may be anthropomorphizing too much of a situation which is hardly the first time that's happened on this show but there's a cat that's um certainly my favorite of the of the current crop and uh, hangs out with me a lot in this one room where i spend most of my day <clears throat> and um really nice cat super but kind of smaller and uh, a little bit lean and so anytime the uh, he comes in to kind of see me the newer cat basically like bullies and attacks my my pal there so i mean now that the smaller cat has kind of plots this course to come in so he can hopefully avoid being attacked or bullied by the other cat and jumps up and finally lands next to me and then hangs out, but it's all, you know, this happens multiple times a day, every day. And I'm just wondering, I mean, and, and, and that's not the only cat that gets bullied, but but this is the cat that's kind of the smallest and probably the most, uh, you know, has the least defenses against that. So some of the other cats will just, you know, fight back. But um, I'm just wondering if there's some things, some steps we could take to protect the, uh, the smaller uh, cat against that, or just the st- steps we could take with the bully cat. To, uh, and you said the bully cat's the newer one. How new? Yeah. Um, probably, uh, I guess at this point, maybe uh, a year or so, probably. So not okay. so not, not new to the household, but just newest overall. Got it, got yeah. it, got it. Um, 
And has this always, has he always bullied the smaller one? See, that this is where my anthropomorphic thing is. I don't recall that happening as much early on, if at all. It almost seems like it's happened more when, when the newer cat, who also wants to hang out with me, I think, to some extent, um, sees how much this, this, this cat that he is bullying is close with me, hanging out with me, napping on my... Yep. So that's where I may be a little, little too much in the anthropomorphic camp. But, but I just have to think there must have, must have something to do with it because it, it has become more frequent. And again, that's the cat that gets bullied the most, even though the others generally can, can sort of defend themselves better. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, with everything else, there's probably a lot of factors. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I would imagine, though, I mean, I think, I think you actually have touched on it there, and I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily say you're anthropomorphizing, but um, it does sound like part of what could be is that the bully cat is, once you, you're the resource, and the bully cat wants to get you. Um, and the way the bully cat's going to get you is that, or if the bully cat wants you, he gets you and not the littler one. Um, that could be a little bit of what's going on there. But as somebody said one time, always look for the simplest, easiest answer before going into all the depth. So much, and you've heard me talk about this all the time, the, one of the first things I would try would be if the bully cat, if there's something he's interested in, is to get the bully cat distracted while the smaller cat's coming in, just so the smaller cat doesn't feel quite so much of, I've got to scoot this way. But the idea in my mind is one of the things we don't want an animal to do is be able to practice the behaviors that we don't want them to do. Um, so if we can get bully cat doing something other than going after a little cat, mm-hmm. then you know, it, the, the, my thought there is that at least, well, it, part of it is desensitizing. So it's like, oh, you're in here already. I'm not going to worry about it now, which makes me wonder once little cat gets in and gets up by you, um, does bully cat continue to try to go after him? No, once he's like, if I'm on a couch, which is typically where this happens, uh, and and little cat makes it safely through the uh, gauntlet <laughs> to, uh, to to land there, then the other cat pretty much won't ju- jump yeah. up on the couch and continue the uh, the attack. Yep. I mean, yep. it's like once, once I'm with he's you. so basic. Yep. No, I'm with you. That's and that's good. If it was, then we got a little bit different scenario there. Yeah. But again, thinking back to. Um, the way Temple Grandin, you know, changed things. If um, with well, obviously it sounds like Little Cats comes in, but once Little Cats in, then so that's the idea is that or that I'm thinking is that if Little Cat can get in without Bully Cat being aware of it, then everything's good. Yeah, kind of. I mean, easier said than done because the problem with this room is that Always. it well, it's it's sort of a popular place for all the animals at one point or another to hang out. So, yep. Yep. so uh, bully cat is often there long before smaller cat gets there, and that's sort of a ah, okay, standing well, guard. So here, so here, here we go with an idea that kind of falls into this um, falls into classic animal training and such. Okay. So what we so one thing to think about since bully cat's already in there um, would be something that bully cat absolutely loves, but bully cat only gets when little cat comes into the room. So in other words, the appearance of little cat means bully cat is going to get 
I don't know, chicken broth. Okay. <laughs> I'll just say chicken broth because it's the first thing that popped in my mind. Um, I always think food, but it could be a toy if he's really into toy and such. Well, this uh, uh, really bull, bully cat is definitely uh, heavy into food, so I think you're on the right track with the uh, broth or some other kind of food thing for sure. Yeah, and and the idea being that, and especially since the little cat is the one that's really, I mean, he's figured out a way to get about get get around it. But still, the little cat's the one in this case that's the prey. Yeah, you know for sure. And um, if we can, uh, the idea being that I mean, this is Pavlovian classical conditioning. The appearance of one thing means a something something yummy, something positive is going to come. Mm-hmm. And so, in this case, little cat comes up, big cat sees oh, and all of a sudden, whoa, dad's providing, you know, insert high value treat here, right? Um, with the hope being that, or the hope that over time, little cat shows up at the room, big cat looks at you for, yo, dad, where's my treat? Right. And the, fo- and the focus becomes giving attention to you rather than bullying little cat. So in, in that last part of what you're saying then, Glenn, do the treats continue kind of indefinitely? Or are you saying at a certain point, if this takes hold, that maybe bully cat looks at me, but I don't necessarily have, have a treat always after the initial hopefully change and um a bully cat will have a lot to do with the answer to that okay yeah yeah. (laughs) um the idea if we were talking dogs so if we were talking dogs we Mm -hmm. definitely in who knows what the time frame would be but we always want to phase out the food reward because you're not going to always have the food reward with you right so you know we we want we want to phase that out cats are a little bit different from dogs though so that's why i say you know in this case it may be for an extended period of time um but it's also one of those things that i mean it's really a great question because this is where we just start watching it and if it's like once bully cat starts looking to you then then we start mixing up, um, let's say you're going from chicken broth to just a regular treat that Bully Cat gets regularly, for example. Um, so while it's yummy, it's not all of a sudden, holy smokes, what is that kind yeah, of reaction? Right. The holy smokes, that's what we call high-value treats. Those are the ones that it's like, well, no, I don't. I don't want to go through that door, but if you've got hot dogs, sure, where yeah. do you want me to go? Show me the way. Yeah, for exactly. sure. Yeah, gotcha. And sometimes hot dogs don't do the trick. The dog's so scared, and usually if hot dogs and string cheese don't do the trick here, we will use liverwurst. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So. so that's the high value of the high value, probably, it sounds like. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay, well, this gives us some uh, some things to work on at our house, and um got a couple of emails. But, you know, one of but one of the great things about that, Duncan, is we could just about in that whole scenario um, exchange dogs for cats, and we would have a very – I mean, basically the response would be the same thing, being that we want the animal to recognize that, whoa, when that cat appears, I, this, this happens over here. Yeah, I could again. I could go off all. I could go off all day long talking about this kind of stuff because it is just so fascinating. But it's it really comes down to giving them choice. And once they realize, okay, if I do it, whoa! If I do this, you're going to give me that for it. Okay. Right. I, I'm in. Count me in. Yeah, yeah for there sure. 
Cool. That's it. All right. Well, you're listening to that voice you're hearing is Glenn Hatchell. We're in a, another installment of Ask the Trainer here on Talking Animals on WMNF. And again, we invite you to uh, call in if you have a question about your dog or cat's uh, behavior, training, uh, any kind of issue that's happened recently, or maybe they're new to the house, or any number of other things, you know, everyday situations, something that's very specific, whatever it might be. We invite you to call in 813-239-9663. Email DJ at WMNF.org. Or text 813-433-0885. Again, if you do text, we just ask if you could include your name just so Glenn knows who he's uh, speaking with. That would be great. So let's go on to one of our emailed questions. It says, we have a two-year-old silver lab who compulsively licks everyone and everything. At first we thought it was cute, but now it's getting annoying and he won't stop. What do we do? Oh, that's... So I would absolutely, if you have not talked to your vet about it, I would absolutely talk to the vet and make sure that there's not something that's happening, not, you know, something that there's not some sort of, uh, I'll, I'll just say a medical condition that could be char- could be um, prompting some of that. Because that really sounds like, I mean, that this, this sounds like it's reached to the obsessive um, stage. And that's why I say, well... We want to stop it, but by the same token, I think in this case, you want to try to get an idea of, I'll say the, well, to use some jargon, the function behind the behavior. Um, why is the dog licking? If where you say he licks you and he licks kind of everything, that's why I think, well, is it taste? Because a lot of times if we think of the dog licking um, hands, feet, things like that, you know, there's possibly the sweat. It could be obviously from the hands, some you know residual stuff from smells and food and all those kind of things. When dogs start licking other objects, then well, that's that's where I start wondering if there's something a little bit different there. Um, of course, as I think through that, I also wonder about other animals in the house. If there are other animals in the house, if there could, if that could be something that's that's prompting. Um, Wow, that's yeah. that, that's really pretty fascinating. But you know, I mean, I can think of uh, some things that could deter it. But again, in a case like this, deterring it could end up causing more issues than finding out why it's happening and work it from there. Um, that's kind of my thought. You know, my, so, my first thoughts. So would this person be well advised then, as you, you started your answer this way, uh, by consulting their vet first, and then depending on what that the vet suggests or determines proceeding with other answers if, if the answer isn't medical or oriented that direction. Correct. And most likely the vet's going to say, it's really nothing going on here, you know, and that may be the case, but you know, when it, when it, when it ends up to be an obsessive behavior like that, um, it's usually, it usually ends up to be, well, I started to say it usually ends up to be one of several things, but that's not always the case. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but it is. I mean, it's just it's kind of like a dog that just randomly chews objects. You know, it's like, uh, why would you chew on a rock? You know, um, and in a case like that, there are some conditions of dogs who chew weird objects, so to speak. Um, and that's why I'm thinking that, you know, maybe it's something, you know, something along that line. Now, I would, much like anything else that I always think about first, okay, that's the that's what's happening is this dog's licking. We don't want the dog to lick. Well, what if we gave him something else to be able to lick? So at least he could continue to, 
let's say, do this behavior, but he's not doing it on people or furniture. And I can't remember if they said furniture in that, but it seemed like us and sounded everything. like every everyone and everything from the description as I uh, recall it. I don't have it in front of me at the yeah. moment, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, um, yeah. Those are some of the thoughts that come to mind. But that's a um, that's a that's not an easy one right there for sure. Okay, well, here's someone who uh, figure out. Yeah, <laughs> no, that uh, and again, it sounds like the important first step is the vet to, to at least rule out or yeah. find out if there might be a medical uh, issue behind this. So Yeah, um, they could do all kind of training and if it turns out that it's a medical I mean you can do all kind of training, you're not gonna out you're not gonna train out a medical issue. Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. So here's here's a question this I guess for someone who was on hold but couldn't stay on hold and, and wonders, is there a solution for chronic dog barking? <laughs> Did my wife send this? Um, <laughs> so well that really is a very common question. Um, and one, well, first thing is all dogs bark, plain and simple. I mean, that is, I mean, do- dogs do that for multitudes of reasons. Um, usually there is the triggers to get a dog to bark are going to be a sound, a smell, or the sight of another dog or person. Um, if you have multiple dogs in the household, then that's going to be, you know, add into the complexities there. So, or add into other, adding into more triggers to keep the dogs barking. I have dogs who, well, anyway, we all have scenarios with dogs who at times bark more than others. And um, so there's a couple of, there's a couple of things some trainers will go through in a case like that of click for quiet being one. To where basically it's kind of teaching the dog to speak, but then also teaching them quiet. And if you teach them how to do something, it's sometimes easier to teach them not to do something. Hmm. The problem, though, with barking is that usually, and of course, since I don't know exactly what they're barking at, let's say with dogs, it's like, okay, I'll click for quiet, I'll be quiet, and then that dog just barked again, and I'm sorry, I can't help myself, I've got to bark again, too. Um, so dogs in the area, that's going to be a challenge alone, you know, to get your dog to relax a little bit. Um, one of the things that I've done with my dogs is when I leave, I have a diffuser on with some calming spray that's going Mm. and music. And I put calming music on and leave it on, even if for no other reason, just to drown out some of the outside surprise noises that they may hear. Oh, I see, yeah. Um, you know, so I think the other, though, comes to the breed of the dog. And I will use an Australian shepherd as a pretty good example. Um, I think a lot of people are familiar with Australian shepherds. You know, they're beautiful. They're usually very um, animated, very energetic, and um, <clears throat> charismatic, to use your word of earlier. Um, and they are bred, I mean, they were initially created to herd sheep. So, I mean, their job, I mean, they're herding dogs and all the, and they're beautiful. And all of a sudden now we're, you know, there's a lot of them that are expected to just move into an apartment or into a house to where they can't, they can't, uh, um, be able to, uh, exercise their dog behaviors, be able to just do their dog things because herding is what they do. Um, 
And I, I use them as an example because cattle dogs generally are one, well, one of mine who barks is a cattle dog mix. And so there, there's this aspect, though, of <clears throat> the dog was, was bred originally with a specific purpose, but instead of going out and hurting all these sheep, we're just going to, you know, we want you to be happy to be on the couch and do nothing 98% of the time. And so a lot of the barking can actually come from, you know, depending on the breed, from they just need a lot more outlets, you know, more energy. Mm-hmm. But then again, I've done that with mine as well. And it's like, yeah, that works for an hour, you know, and then <laughs> the dog next now door what? starts barking, all of a sudden they start going again. So it's, um, yeah, it can be extremely frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but again, it comes back to, again, much like the licking of, what is it that's, that's generating the barking? And if there is something external and outside, then that's much harder than if it is, if it's a issue of the dog's just bored, for example, I'll say. Yeah. Okay. If that makes sense. Okay. That's great. And I think uh, we have kind of a little bit longer question, but it's a question about a cat and other than... The one I started, we don't necessarily get that many cat questions, so I'll go ahead. It says, I have a question for the trainer about my cat. My cat is very talkative, but when he thinks it's mealtime, he will cry for his food no matter how early. We let him in and out of the bedroom as he pleases, but whether we let him in or keep him out, he will cry at the top of his lungs for two hours straight at four in the morning. I've been pretty diligent about sticking to a set meal schedule, and he gets the amount of food recommended by the vet. The earlier I feed him, the earlier he starts crying for food. I've tried all kinds of slow feeders and tricks, but he just spills the food everywhere and cries more. Any advice? Well, um, hmm, I kind of was thinking slow feeders along that line. Um, I'm assuming, well, I'm assuming that the dry food is always available for the cat. Um, but it I'm, I'm, sounds kind of like that it probably was. Yeah, I mean, so generally with cats, what I do with mine is they get wet food morning and night, always have access to dry food. Now, my cats aren't diabetic. There may be a case in this one that this is a diabetic cat and can only you know feed right around time of um, insulin shots, for example. So there may be some factors there that I'm not aware of. Yeah. You know, I mean, my so the couple of things that come to mind, I would try changing some food, seeing if that makes a difference. But again, the only time I have ever I've I've ever had an experience like this with a cat again was a diabetic cat, and um, and it was funny. Elliot Wood at five fifty seven every morning would start meowing because he knew the alarm was going off at six (laughs) o'clock, and he would start three minutes. Now it wasn't the catter wall. Like this, either mailer has described, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's why I'm kind of wondering if, even if it's to try it to begin with, maybe to have more food. I mean, have food available, twenty dry food available twenty four seven, and see if that will at least reduce that a little bit. Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, this is definitely one of those to where I'm curious about why. I mean, was was it just the was it just the mess while they stopped the slow feeder, for example? You know, so I mean, there's, yeah. there's a couple of things in there I'm not really, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure about. But, you know, I all, again, there's also, and if there were a, was, if there was another product, I would probably say the name, but I would probably just use a generic name. But there is a, a calming product for cats called Feel Away, mm-hmm. F 
F-E-L-I-W-A-Y. And it is very, very effective on a lot of cats. And one possibility could be to try feel away. Um, they're in the, and I'm thinking at night, um, to try to eliminate the um, meowing at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. That perhaps if there's a little calmness as well, that um, maybe that would let them sleep a little bit. But Sure. That sounds good. Yeah. That's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. These are fun today. These are completely different than the questions we've had in the previous Yeah, I know. It's, so. it's a great mix. I mean, I love uh, it. Yeah. The only, uh, this points out one of the virtues of, for those who can call and don't mind hanging on hold for a little bit, is that then, just even as Glenn was sort of working his way through this cat question, uh, there were questions that he had that might have helped him determine even a more specific course of action. So, again, if you are able to call, it's 813-239-9663. Uh, email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. Again, we do ask if you text, if you can include your name, just so that, again, Glenn knows who he's speaking with, or I know who we spoke with later when we do a little bit of a recap of part of the show. And uh, so, again, this is Ask the Trainer, and Glenn Hatchell is the trainer in question, and, again, works as the Behavior and Enrichment Manager at the Humane Society of Tampa, an accomplished dog trainer and behaviorist, taking questions about cats, dogs, uh, behaviors, uh, training issues, anything that might be of concern to you, and we're going to take another one of those right now. So, uh, okay, so we got one of our own. Here's Scott Elliott saying, I'm having the same problem with one of my dogs looking at the furniture constantly. I thought it was her, her cheese, but found out that's not the case. It really is a problem. Thanks for the show today. Thank you, Glenn. So if there's anything else you want to say about... Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, so um, one of the thoughts would be, again, it comes back, and hey, Scott, I love, I listen to you all the time. You just never know I'm out there. Um. <laughs> One of the things that they're licking, again, it comes back to a reason. And I would, you know, my thought would be that um, when you see them do it, not with anything, you know, aversive, but give that area a good clean, you know, regardless of what you use as a cleaning stuff. Not, you know, just use whatever you use on a regular basis. But, you know, part of what, um, you know, kind of pops into my mind, I didn't think about this before, but as Scott asked that, it's like, well, I wonder if, Maybe part of what the dog's licking is the fact of well, I licked here last time, and I got some, I left some good stuff on here, and I'm licking it again. Now I have never thought about this before, but I'm just trying to since this is starting to seem to be a recurring kind of thing today. It's like, all right, what other things could be tried here, um, short of putting something on there that you know is going to make the dog want to avoid? That would be one of the risks if you know. I'm sure somebody's thinking, well, you know, just put some pepper on it or something like that or the bitter apple or, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, that can be for some dogs work. Also, the other dogs that have licked that off, usually that's dogs that chew and things like that, not more just, you know, from the licking aspect. But, again, if you do something like that, the dog may lick that and we don't really know – And if the dog's like, whoa, I'm never doing that again, we don't really know whether the dog associated it. Was it the lick? Was it the chair? Was it the room that would have scared the dog? Yeah. Um, And that's part of why it's, I wouldn't want to do something that would deter it without having a better idea, even if it's just a, you know, gut feel of why, why is the dog doing it to begin with? And so many times licking really is, it's um, 
a smell or a taste or something that they're getting through there and just trying to get more and more information. Mm. But, but again, you know, if it's an obsessive type behavior, then all of a sudden that's a whole, that's a whole area that's way above my knowledge. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's good. And I think we actually have a call, possibly more than one here. So let's see if we can get them involved. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Glenn Hatchell. Ask the trainer. Hi. Um, I have a 13-year-old Shih Tzu male who has renal failure, so he's on a prescription uh, Mm -hmm. diet. Mm -hmm. But when he is, and he has never been food-oriented for training, um, but when I have him on leash and I'm outside walking, uh, if a large dog comes in the other direction, Sometimes he's fine, and sometimes he goes into that little dog syndrome and barks and just becomes uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if there's anything that I can do that at least would warn me ahead of time when he's going to be acting like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the things that I was taught early on is that sometimes we can tell more about a dog by the other dog's reactions to it. So that comes to mind first because I'm just wondering as they walk by if there are some dogs that your your pup just has that sense of this guy's a threat for me and others he walks by and is okay with. So the fact that it's inconsistent is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, not inconsistent, but yeah, I'm glad you said yes. You knew what I meant. So is he toy motivated? No. Do you like toys? No. No. Okay. So we've got a lot of challenges there. So my guess, and that's a really good question, what, what, am, what should I look for to anticipate it? Um, so thinking about what you asked there, I would probably, I'm imagining walking a Shih Tzu, I would watch the tail and the ears, and if I think the best way to put it, if they go forward and tense or forward and alert, then that's the kind of signal or that's the kind of thing he probably does before he kicks into little dog syndrome. Right. My guess is that the ones that he's okay with the ears and the tail are going to be a little more relaxed. Um, now, I don't know if you have, have noticed that, you know, as, as he's approached yeah. with the dogs. But, but and, since you are looking above him and from behind, that's why I would say probably I'd watch the ears as much because the tail, tail may be hard to read on him sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> depending on yeah. how he is, you know, with coat and all that kind of stuff, you know, the ears may be give you those indications. But well, I also think about it, too, of the moving forward. So if there's all of a sudden this quick want to move forward in and of itself, that's not bad. But usually a dog that is going to do what you described would probably move forward first. But you were about to say, uh, is there a polite way? There are multiple times if I'm, for instance, over at a park, someone has a very large dog, they're coming toward me, and their dog is super friendly and excited and goes, oh, my dog loves little dogs. And before I can get out of my mouth, I'm not sure that my dog does like big dog, Mm -hmm. you know. It's Mm -hmm. like their larger dog is all over the Shih Tzu, 
and then Boshi just goes into attack mode. Yep. And then the larger dog owner often has trouble controlling their dog, and I'm afraid sometime that my dog is going to get injured because this other dog now feels like he's being attacked, and he could basically have my dog for lunch. You're absolutely right. I mean, that is, that is and in that case, it's, it's the other people, you know. <laughs> so, you know, because exactly what you just said right there, before you can get it out of your mouth, somebody says, oh, my dog's fine, and they'll come right up like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so a couple of things that would come to mind. One is, yeah, I can't, I mean, that's just, if people aren't listening to you, I, if you find a way to get them to listen to you, please let me know. Um, <laughs> but there is also, there's a company that, and I'm only mentioning them because <clears throat> we get stuff from them and they've got something that um, could fit for you. The company is called Max and Neo, N-E-O. And honestly, they may just be a foundation. I don't even know if they have products available, but I have. They send us these what I will call um, leash sleeves that have Velcro that we can put on leashes. And the two of them I have, I have one that says "Do not pet," and the other one says "Caution." And you can these can actually slide onto the leash, so oh, hopefully people could see those. So yes. I don't. Again, I don't know if they actually make those available, but there's probably something on the market that you can find that would do something like that. I think years ago there used to be the Yellow Ribbon Project, which had some grassroots bits, but the idea was to tie a yellow ribbon on your leash if your dog is one who's just is is scared when other dogs come up. I haven't wow. heard about the Yellow Ribbon Project in, in years, so I don't know if. Um, if anything's still going on with that, but that those little um, leash sleeves can sometimes be a, a real, yeah, a real saver. That's great. That sounds like a yeah. great idea. Thank you. Okay, I think Absolutely. we're going to move on. But thank you so much for your call. Appreciate it. Okay, let's take another caller here. We're sort of nearing the end of our time, sadly, but uh, let's take this one. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with uh, Glenn Hatchell. To ask the trainer. Hi, um, I have a uh, eight year old. Uh, he's a mix uh, with it, uh, Chihuahua Terrier uh, Dotson. Um, the whole works. I mm-hmm. uh, fostered him. He was a complete runaway. Any loud noise, any anything new and different, his modus operandi was run and and mm-hmm. not stop. Okay, and he's very fast. Uh, so uh, he's been. You know, we're, we work on that, and I've, I'm very careful with him. He's better. Up until about six months ago, he used to love to get on his side of the bed. Um, he he was, was raised with Great Danes, but that's neither here nor there. But uh, about six months ago, he he would get on the bed at night, and then uh, the minute I he comes on after I get get in, he starts looking, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, whale eye, and I know he's upset about something, and I pet him, and I feel he's shaking. And the, and the minute I stop petting him or talking to him, he leaves. And 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 uh, then he's the house is relatively cold this time of year, and I would rather mm-hmm. have him. He will get under the covers and stays there longer. But there is something, and I I've just tried everything. I cannot figure out where that fear. What is happening? There's no noise. 
You know, yep. whether the lights are well, on, the lights are off, whether I'm reading, it doesn't seem to matter. How do I yeah. find this? Is there a way to figure well, out what's it, going on? Yeah, my guess is that something, and you may have not even been around maybe, um, that when he was in a bed at some point, or asleep would be a better way to put it, that happened that scared him. Possibly that would be one thought, because as you were saying, all of a sudden, you know, something like this started happening. Yes. So as you were describing that, the thing that kind of really clicked in my mind, though, is that after you pet him, he ends up jumping off the bed. So exactly. when he jumps up and you can see the whale eye, I would try waiting until he comes over to you for the petting. I have done that because I thought maybe yep. I was, but I, I think what you've just hit on, he does sleep on the bed during the day. Uh, he tears it apart to get it, you know, unmade the <laughs> way he that. wants it. Yep. And um, something could have happened while I was gone. I, uh, that, is, that fits his pattern. Okay. But so if you, so, one of the things to kind of help him work through that, possibly, I would I, I always recommend thunder shirts um, because I find a high degree of success with it. And the idea about the thunder shirt is that it can calm the dog down, right. and you're going to know it quickly. There's no side of there's no negative side effects to it, and. Um, even though it's, you know, we're not necessarily dealing with thunder or things along that line, oh. that calming effect may help him, let's say, okay. in that moment of, yes. all right, I don't need to hop down right now. I, I, am, so. a, I am familiar with thunder shirts. Would you put it on, would I put it on before, like, you know, 10 minutes before uh, we, we get into bed or after he has started the shaking? And um, I would definitely do it before the shaking. Okay. Definitely before. So, yeah, I'd probably put it on an hour or two before you go to bed. Very good. Thank Excellent. you. I'll get okay. it. Works. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks so much for your call. And, and sadly, we have kind of just about reached the end of our time here. So, uh, again, we've been speaking with Glenn Hatchell, and he's been responding to all these calls and emails and texts. He's the Behavior and Enrichment Manager at the Humane Society of Tampa Bay. The website for that uh, Enterprise is humanesocietytampa.org. One of the things we didn't get a chance to talk about properly, or really, really at all, but I want to call your attention to as we sort of say our goodbyes here, is that uh, Glenn's posting all kinds of cool things on the uh, Humane Society of Tampa Bay's YouTube channel. Easy to search for, great uh, pieces that... Um, so much hook into some of the things we've talked about today. So much have nothing to do with it, but they're really helpful and instructive. And uh, so I would advise you to check that out. So, Glenn, thank you once again for joining us today on uh, Talking Animals with yet another great edition of Ask the Trainer. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, Duncan. Thank you. All right. We are at the end of this edition of Talking Animals. We'll uh, see you uh, hopefully at Ook It Out. Or you could out, however you pronounce it. Friday and or Saturday, WNF.org for tickets and uh, information and details. And my guest next week will be Dr. D. Borsma, biologist and professor at the University of Washington, where she is Wadsworth Endowed Chair in Conservation Science. The New York Times called her once the Jane Goodall of penguins, so we'll have a fascinating conversation with her. And I invite you to check out TalkingAnimals.net for um, archives of past shows, social media, links to social media, etc., and again, Scott Elliott is uh, next studio gearing up, ready to take you all through amazing music from noon to three right after we hear NPR News headlines. Thanks so much. Talking Animals, WNF Tampa.